Hey friends, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. To my longtime listeners, welcome back. And if this is your first time tuning in, I'm so glad that you chose to tune in today. This show is a safe space with real conversations to help you live free and pursue your God-given dreams. Today's episode is about breaking down barriers in marriage. We had some real talk about common marriage barriers like communication, submission, sex, and fighting. Be sure to stick around till the end of the show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. Before I introduce you to today's guest, I want to read a sweet review that came in this week from a listener. Here's what she says. Real Talk with Rachel is a refreshing source for encouragement. Real Talk isn't always easy to hear, but the hard truth is sometimes the most encouraging. I love that this review pointed out that hard truth can actually be encouraging. So Hippoflow, be sure to send our team an email at rachel at rachelgilbert.com so we can mail you a copy of our guest book. All right, well, speaking of today's guest, let me introduce you to her now. Her name is Dr. Julie Slattery. She's a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and broadcast media professional with over 25 years of experience counseling and teaching women. She's the president and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. That's a unique ministry devoted to teaching God's design for intimacy and sexuality. In 2020, Julie launched SexualDiscipleship.com, which is a platform designed to help Christian leaders navigate sexual issues and questions with gospel-centered truth. She hosts a weekly podcast called Java with Julie, where she answers tough questions about relationships, marriage, and spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy. Now, we actually got to do a little bit of that on today's show. You're going to see... Y'all, this episode kind of just sums up real talk. We seriously talked about all the hard things that most people are kind of thinking in their heads, but they're going, I wonder if anybody else wrestles with this too. Yeah, we do. And we talked about it all today. So you're going to love this conversation with Dr. Julie. So let's welcome her to the show right now. Well, hello, Julie. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Good to be with you. Yeah, I was just telling you before we hit record that it was just an honor to get to finally meet you. Sometimes I feel like I follow people online or I read their books, I read their social media stuff, and I feel like I know you, but I don't know you. And so now I get to take that one step closer and and meet you over Zoom today. So thanks for hopping on here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad I could. I know that feeling very well. So I can identify with that when I do my own podcast. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so before we jump into the topic that we're going to discuss today, I love to ask my guests, what is maybe a random or fun fact about you that I didn't read in your professional bio? Um, My husband and I love fitness. So I guess that's a random or fun thing. Like most of our dates are Hey, let's go swim some laps or go for a run or hike, or we've always shared that together. So yeah, that's my husband and I too. Yeah. Yeah. We like to hike and run Spartans and Uh marathons and all the things. Yeah. Marathons. Well, I shouldn't have had an S on there. We've done one marathon. (laughs) Well, it's one more than I've done. So, but we are registered for Spartan race in in next July, but I don't know. I'm like, I'm getting old for this. Oh, you can do it. 
You can yeah. do it. It's super fun. That's why I loved doing it with my husband because he would help me over all the walls and, yep. you know, it was in the, in the photos that come from it. Have you guys done one before? Not a Spartan. We've done adventure races before. Okay. Be yeah. 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 You'll love it. You'll love it. Oh, yay. I can't wait to see pictures. They're yeah. fun pictures. That's like my, we have our Spartan pictures are up on our, we have a fitness, a gym in our home and we put them on campuses up there. So oh, you'll love a it. Good idea yeah. to do that. Okay, we'll continue that conversation later. But for the listener's sake, we're going to move on, even though I could talk to you all day about Spartan races (laughs) and hikes and all the things. I'm sure the listener's like, okay, what are we doing here, Rachel? Um, Let's talk about your most recent re-release of a book. Now, let's stop for a second and say, how many books have you written? Do you know the total count? Um, I think I'm working on number 12 right now. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, time out. You just re-released a book and you're already working on another book? Yeah, it was not a good idea to have two at once, but that's the way it worked out. So yeah, yeah so I had one released, the the new Finding the Hair and Your Husband, yeah. released the same week that my new one was due to the publisher. So, wow. yeah, so it's been a little crazy, but that's all right. Yeah, I'm working on my first one. My manuscript's due in January, and I'm already going, Lord. I don't know about this. Like (laughs) how many of these are we going to do? So uh, major hats off to you. So let's talk then about the one that just re-released. It's called Mm -hmm. finding the hero in your husband, embracing your power in marriage. So before you tell us about this book, it actually first released in 1999, correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So this is a total rewrite of the first book I ever wrote. Okay. So what led you to rewrite it? Well, Rachel, I mean, first of all, people were still buying it and they were saying, I need this book. It's helping me. But I got more and more hesitant about recommending it because I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's so old. Like the examples are old. Um, The language that I used was just a different tone than what I'd use today. And then also, although the principles in the book haven't changed, just our lives have changed. The culture's changed a lot with everything from the smartphone to the Me Too movement to the advancement and empowerment of women and the workforce. And so there are a lot of things that have changed how we apply these principles in modern marriage. So it's something I've wanted to do for a while and finally uh, decided to do it. And initially I was just gonna do some pretty heavy editing, but once I got into it, I'm like, I just have to start over and write the book from scratch. Yeah. I love that you said that the principles haven't changed, but like you said, then the verbiage and the different things have. So then tell me what even led to back then and now your heart behind this book. Yeah. uh, I really was trying to figure out my own marriage the first time I wrote it. And as a pretty new wife, I just was like, what does it look like to be a good wife? I, I could see so many areas where I felt like I was more capable than my husband. I was in some places more educated than him. I'd been a follower of Christ much longer than he had. And then I kept hearing teaching on what a godly wife looked like. And it felt to me like it meant I had to be less than. And it just didn't make sense to me. Like, why would God give me gifts and then ask me not to use those within my marriage and my home? And so that kind of led me on a search of what what is actually biblical marriage look like practically and what is cultural, what is not cultural from what we read in the scripture. And then I was also a new therapist at the time. So I was seeing similar themes in the marriages and the women that I was counseling. And it all kind of boiled down to 
like women don't know how to use their power and understanding healthy marriage is understanding our power and how we can use it constructively and how we often end up using it destructively. So that's kind of the journey that led me to write it the first time. And it really has been a book that I've had to go back to over my couple decades in marriage and remind myself of things that I wrote a long time ago that I don't off, I don't always do. So, um, yeah. So sometimes when you write something, it's a boomerang, it hits you, hits you right back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man. That's, that's what I have discovered in writing my book. I'm going, Oh, I have to actually use these principles that I'm teaching, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yeah. love that. I also love that you said as a new therapist, cause that's the position I find myself in is I have all this head knowledge as I come into being a therapist and but then I'm going, but wait, I know what to do, but then how do you apply, you know, like making myself apply it to my own marriage and my own household. There's a difference there. So I love that you brought that up. Um, we are going to talk about the, the power piece that you just mentioned, but before we do, I want to ask the question that you have a chapter that is actually called a wife's greatest challenge. So, or it's on that topic. What do you think is a wife's greatest challenge? Yeah, I think a wife's greatest challenge is that she wants her husband to lead but she wants him to lead the way she wants him to lead, which is really her leading. So it's like this dilemma of, we don't want to be in charge. Like no woman says my ideal situation is for me just to take over and to make all the decisions. That's not intimacy, but we end up doing that because we don't like what happens often when we give our husbands the room to step in and lead or to, begin even just being involved in making decisions. You know, there's so many examples of this. I think a common one is parenting. Um, You know, it's like you want your husband to be involved, but you don't like the way he holds the baby. You don't like the way he disciplines your toddler. You don't like the way he interacts with your teenager. And so you're constantly going behind him saying, no, do it this way, or that's not what you should do. And he ends up not wanting to be involved. And so I think that that dilemma plays out in almost every aspect of marriage. And it's it's this tension of, man, I'm creating the dynamic that I really don't like, but I'm not sure what else I should do. Julie, you just did a mic drop moment, I think for a lot of people, and it's worth repeating that we want our husband to lead, but the big but there, we want him to lead the way we think he should. How then, I know that resonates when I read that line in your book, it was one of the quotes that jumped out. I was like, okay, (laughs) here we go. How then, when we start to recognize that we're doing that, how do we not keep going in that direction that we're going? Yeah, I think it really comes down to understanding that when we do that, we're actually leading. Mm -hmm. So we're actually just becoming manipulative or um, critical So what we really want is not only our husband to lead, we want him to be a leader and there's a difference. Uh, We want him to step in the gap. We want him to stand up. We want him to be a husband and father. Uh, And so part of that's, that's why the title of the book is finding the hero in your husband, because we want him to step into that role of being a hero. Uh, And so what we have to realize is by telling him always how to do that, we're actually not developing leadership within him. We're actually getting the opposite impact of almost being like the mom who's critical or who's nagging and guys don't rise to that challenge. (laughs) You know, they don't, they don't grow when they're constantly being told what to do or being reminded of how they're failing. Men grow 
when they're encouraged, when they're given a vision of who they can become, when they don't fear failure, um, they're, they're willing to risk and not be afraid of what if I get it wrong. And so the whole theme of the book is really understanding how you have power in that area of having your husband either feel safe to step into the chaos of life or feel like, man, I'm not even going to try because if I do, I know it's not going to be good enough. And that took me a while to figure out. And again, it's still principles I have to go back to often to say, I don't just want my husband to lead. I want him to become the leader that God created him to be. And that's character. Today's episode is brought to you by the resource, How to Communicate Effectively with Your Spouse or Loved Ones. It has six easy steps to communicate your thoughts and feelings that you can use in any tough conversation. It's a one-page document you can print and keep visible as a reminder. To download this resource, go to rachelgilbert.com forward slash marriage. I love what you brought up about him not fearing failure. Mm -hmm. That's been something that I have not gotten a lot right in our marriage, but something that early on in our marriage, I tried really hard to let my husband try things. And if it didn't turn out the way, you know, basically if it failed to not be the wife that was going to be there going, I told you so, <laughs> you know, why uh-huh. did you do that? So what are some practical ways that as women that we can let him lead and possibly fail and him not feel like completely defeated in that situation? In fact, maybe even feeling empowered in that situation, even though it was a failure. Yeah, I think it's it's understanding, first of all, that like encouraging your husband is a piece of it. And so is also helping your husband. So it's not like you just are never involved. You're never giving input. You're not bringing your opinion and thoughts to the table, but you're first establishing the atmosphere in your marriage where your husband just knows like she's got my back. She's not looking to point out where I got things wrong. She's gracious um, in seeing my weakness. And a lot of the ways that I've done this before is even just using the language of teamwork, you know, not you got that wrong, but well, next time maybe we'll do something differently. And so it's not just him making decisions, we're making them together and we're taking the ownership of, hey, not every decision is going to be great. And the ones that aren't, we'll learn from, hey, it's okay. Uh, And so just having that graceful attitude, I think also realizing, and for me, this was a real aha moment. I realized that most of the time, almost every decision is less important than how we made the decision. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, you know, you can put so much emphasis on, we should have bought this car or see, I told you we shouldn't have taken out this loan, but in reality, like you're going to survive even really bad decisions if you're if you're in it together, if you're a team, if you're more concerned about your marriage than you are about the thousands of decisions that you make every day. And so it's having that bigger perspective that building your marriage is more important than getting everything right. Mm. And uh, yeah, again, I think that plays out in our walk with the Lord. It plays out in how we parent and how we steward money and how we make decisions about jobs. Like, is there a spirit of really being on the same team or is it me against you? 
I love that focus on teamwork because isn't that the truth that, you know, we fail as a team and we succeed as a team. We, whatever happens, it's happening as a team because we made this decision as a team. I just, I love that perspective. So we're not, because otherwise, if you're not doing it as a team, then that probably is a sign there's a lack um, something, a disconnect happening between the two of us, right? Like something's yeah. not meshing and we're kind of maybe going on two different paths. Does that make sense? Like we're- It does. Mm-hmm. It, either you're not on the same path or it can also be that one person is setting the other one up to fail. So yeah. guys can do this by like saying, uh, I'm not touching that. I'm not making the decision. And then yeah. the woman makes the decision and then she bears the brunt of it. But women can do that too, where it's like, yeah. okay, you leave. Let's see how this goes. And I'm going to be, she doesn't say it, but I'm going to be watching you. And when you don't do it right, like that's just more proof that you're not, you're not a good guy or you're not a good husband. And yeah. these are not things that are spoken, but they're dynamics that develop over time in our relationship and they end up sabotaging intimacy. Yeah, for sure. And we see that in any area of life, whether it's in your marriage or work or whatever, where you don't feel like people believe in you and your decision-making ability. We're not drawn to that. Nobody wants to hang out around that. It's like, that's kind of repelling, you know? So, um, so the whole book, the theme is really a lot about the power that women have in marriage. So can you describe practically what that power looks like and where it comes from? Yeah. So our power in relationships come from what the other person needs. So, uh, you know, often we try to fix our marriage by focusing on what we need, but we have no power in what we need. I have power in what my husband needs. Mm. And, um, you know, like a very practical example that connects with people is, you know, let's say that you, you have a very rare illness and it's a fatal disease, but I'm the only one that has an antidote to that disease. Well, I can pretty much ask you to give me anything that I'd want, and I'd have the power to kind of demand it. You want to live, so you'd you'd meet my demands. And that's an example, an extreme example about how need gives the other person power. So in marriage, God has designed it so that we have needs that only really the other person can meet, Uh, needs for emotional intimacy, needs for sexual intimacy, things like that. And that gives the other person power. So in the book, I talk about three specific needs that I think are unique to most men, where they'd say, yeah, these are the things that I most look for in my marriage. And one of them we talked about a little bit, but it's that need to feel like my wife believes in me. Mm. And um, even though she sees my weaknesses, like she's waking up every day, um, believing in me, believing that I can become the man that I want to be. She's not sabotaging me. Um, so that's the first need. And there's the second need is that men really need their wife's help and we need our husband's help too. But if you think about men really waking up with that question of, does she believe in me? Am I capable? Am I going to fail? Like if he's wrestling with that, then what a wife brings to her husband, her insights, her strengths, even her accountability, like those things are really necessary for him to grow and to, and to be a good husband and leader and father and Christian. And so he needs his wife's help. Uh, and then the third thing I talk about is just the whole journey of sexual intimacy and um, that a husband really needs his wife to share that journey with him. And, um, and 
that that's an important part of marriage for both husbands and wives. And it's not just about the physical need for sex. It's about really sharing that journey of intimacy together. Yeah. I actually want to dive deeper into that topic of sexual intimacy. But before we do, I want to ask you on this topic of power, what are some ways that wives tend to misuse their power? Yeah, well, we almost always misuse our power uh, out of our own fear or anger. So we might misuse our power if like we really I used the example earlier of parenting, like we really don't want our husbands that involved because we don't trust him. And yeah, there are certain situations, extreme situations where a husband isn't trustworthy because of an addiction or a mental disorder or, you know, abusive dynamics. But in most situations, we're talking about good husbands, good guys, but they don't do things the way we do them. And they don't feed the kids the things we would feed them. They don't play with them the way we would play with them. And so instead of encouraging our husbands to be the fathers that they are and just to be who they are, we, we want to be the gatekeeper. No, like I'll, I get to determine how we discipline the kids. I get to determine uh, how you interact with them. And so that's using our power in a way that's controlling. Uh, another way we do it is we become manipulative. So we're not going to be bossy and just, you know, tell our husbands to back up um, or we don't just take over, but we kind of stack the deck and he knows, man, if I don't make the decision she wants me to make, I'm going to pay for it. Like the next month, she's going to be cold towards me. She's going to make snarky comments. And so he ends up making decisions based on fear, a, a fear of being punished by his wife rather than having the freedom to just say, hey, here's my opinion. Here's what I think I should do. Or even little things. You know, some guys are literally afraid to go golfing with their buddies because they know, wow, the wife's going to make me pay. Uh, you know, that that's an indication that we're not using power in a constructive way. We're using it more manipulatively. So those are a few examples. Yeah. So if someone was listening today and they were convicted just now, oh man, I maybe have not been using my power the best. How do you, how can they reconcile that? How do they pivot and do things differently? Yeah. Well, first of all, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. I think uh, every one of us would say, there have been seasons in my life where I haven't done this well, or even with the best intentions, like I grew up in a home where that's all I knew. That's that's what it looked like to be a wife. And so I don't even know how to do it differently. And with anything, we improve by first recognizing that, wow, I don't do this well. And even confessing that, confessing it to the Lord, confessing it to our husbands. And that's something that I've had to do at different times in marriage is just say to my husband, like I realize that, you know, I haven't I haven't done well in this lately. Like I've I have been manipulative or I haven't been encouraging. Um, would you forgive me? And then just really determining to make an effort not to be perfect, but to say, God, you know, how can I use my power in a way that actually builds intimacy? One of the verses that I talk about in this book is Proverbs 14:1. And it says the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. And so that verse always prompts me to ask, you know, am I building my house or am I tearing it down? Because there's really no neutral. Like you have power and you're using it, whether you're conscious of it or not. And so I really want God to give me the wisdom to use that power to build intimacy, to build my marriage rather than tearing it down. What a great verse to go with that. And I'm glad that you brought up 
um, your upbringing, because I also think that is a really big deal and something that I try to extend myself grace and I encourage other women to extend themselves grace on is we, if you weren't taught the correct way of doing things, you're kind of like having to unravel, you know, and unlearn. And so it, sometimes that can take time to really start to recognize, oh, that's not healthy. You know, that way of doing things that I learned, right. I mean, you didn't know any better. It's just the way you learned it growing up. And so you have to kind of come to that realization. Okay. That's not healthy. Let's shift and let's change. And that can take some time to redo. It's kind of like building up new muscles in your body. You don't get to do one workout and woohoo, that's it. You're done. Never have to lift a weight another day of your life. That's not how our bodies work. And that's not how learning new ways of doing things in your home and marriage works as well. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Okay. This conversation is so great, but before we get to uh, run out of too much time, I do want to make sure we talk about, there's two different topics that I want to get to. We'll start with the sexual intimacy, because I feel like this is something that doesn't get talked about enough in our, in our world and especially in our Christian culture. Um, so you really f- have focused on this topic for like the last decade, right? Mm-hmm. And so why do you think that sex is such an intense area of conflict for many uh, marriages and just um, disconnect in many marriages? Well, first of all, because it's such a powerful element of relationship. God has designed sex to be so physically powerful, so emotionally intimate. It exposes all of our triggers. Mm. Uh, it exposes our past. It exposes our, our body image issues and our insecurities And so when you have conflict around sex, it's not just like, oh, we can't decide where to go for dinner. Like it, it taps into shame issues and um, self-worth and am I really loved and uh, am I good enough? And all of those core issues that are so sensitive for us. And so most couples have no clue how to navigate or even talk through issues of sexuality because it feels like walking in a, a... a minefield. Like, when am I going to say something where I step on my spouse's feelings or sensitive area, and it's just going to become explosive? So, um, so that's one of the the big reasons. Uh, I think also, frankly, I think sexuality is a spiritual battleground. Mm. I think it's very close to the heart of God, and anything that's close to the heart of God is also going to be consistently under attack by the enemy. And so I do believe that there um, there's spiritual elements involved in our sexuality and in healing. Um, you know, just look at all the damage that's done through sexual abuse and pornography, and you know, on and on and on. Just things where the enemy takes an action or an episode in your life and just plants lies and uh, gets strongholds. So there's good reason why couples really struggle with this area, but those are also very good reasons why it's worth fighting for. It's worth learning how to invite God into that area of your marriage and really start reclaiming lost ground. You just hit on a point that lit a fire in my bones. You ever have somebody say something that kind of makes the arm hairs stand up a little bit. And I feel like sometimes that's the Holy spirit, like lighting something up in me to go, Oh my goodness, there's some golden nuggets here. And I'm going to repeat a line that you said, because I feel like I want the listeners to catch this too. I'm sure they caught it the first time, but here it comes again. You said anything close to the heart of God is constantly under attack of the enemy. And when I, when you just said that, 
really that painted a visual for me that this issue and this topic, I guess not issue, this topic of sex with my husband in the marriage bed, that it's, it's close to the heart of God. Like it's a good, beautiful thing. And so no wonder it's under attack because the enemy hates anything that is in line with God and what he wants for his children. And so when I see that painted like that, it makes something rise up in me to, to fight for that, you know, to say, Hey, hold on where we're being ripped off. That's not the enemy's territory. This is God's territory. And we're going to stand our ground and we're going to keep fighting this battle. And, and we do that by obviously with spiritual weapons of warfare and prayer and reading books like yours and being in unity as a husband and wife and staying submitted to each other and to the Lord and things like that. So I just had to just repeat that because that was a golden nugget right there. So what else would you say then to the person listening who maybe had the same reaction I did of, oh my goodness, yes, this is why we've Mm -hmm. had conflict in this area. What can they do practically speaking if they have just really wrestled with this issue of sexual intimacy and being on the same page as a husband and a wife? Yeah, I think Rachel, like you, like this is what gave me energy to fight this battle. Um, first within my own marriage, but then also in the work that I do, it's not worth fighting for if it's just about pleasure and it's just about, oh yeah, it'd be nice to have a great sex life. Like I think a lot of women would be like, I could just do without that. But when you understand that it's spiritual ground and you look at all the ways the enemy is distorting sexuality, you're like, wait, this is the one area where I have a say that he doesn't get to distort it. Like this is the one arena where I can say, God, you own this. And, uh, and I think that's really a first step is just having that sense of the enemy might have his way in the world, but he doesn't get his way in my heart and in my bedroom. And, um, and I think with that resolution, you're really starting to, as you mentioned, get God's perspective of sex, start unearthing lies. Uh, I, I even think the simple thing about couples praying together about their sex life, how many of them actually do that? Uh, you know, that in and of itself starts reclaiming ground, um, going to counseling if needed uh, to get through barriers that you have because of sexual addiction or pornography use, uh, past trauma, healing from infidelity, like those things are major barriers that you may not be able to tackle on your own. You might really need to get some wise counsel. So it's it's worth the journey and it's worth the fight. Yeah. you know, and. Uh, you mentioned how sex too is also a trigger, you know, with can bring up all kinds of other things, like you said, and especially if you do see those other things bringing up, definitely encourage the counseling as well. And so the book I'm writing right now is on body image. And that was one of the things that really spurred me to become somebody who speaks on this topic of body image was because to your point in marriage, that really got triggered in me, uh, you know, and, and brought up. And so then whenever, again, we see these areas that the enemy's poking at and messing with that aren't his territory, you're like, hold on, <laughs> hold yeah. the phone. This isn't your territory. We need to do something about this. And so I'm glad that you brought that, that piece up as well. So what are some, we've talked about some, but do you, are there any other major common barriers that you see couples dealing with related to sexual intimacy that we haven't already discussed? Yeah, there are so many. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think even basic differences in desire, how often you want to have sex versus your, how often your husband wants to have sex. Uh, that can be a, a big one where couples are really um, fighting and it just sabotages things. And then there's physical issues. Your body's not working correctly. For a lot of women, they experience pain during during intercourse. They don't know how to address that. 
Uh, women get frustrated um, because they can't climax um, or climax easily. So these are some of the common barriers. And then again, when you mix those common barriers with all the things they can represent, that's when you just have this become an area of your marriage that is not a blessing at all. It just leads to discouragement. Uh, but but God can work through the, all the barriers. He can actually use them to help you just become even more intimate as a couple and um, to say, hey, we've overcome some hard things together. I think another one is infertility. When sex has come to represent disappointment or you know, fertility only, then then something really gets lost and it can become again, an issue of pain or conflict for couples. Yeah. Yeah. So when that physical um, piece is a barrier, what is your recommendation to couples on Do they seek help outside the marriage? Do they try to walk through it together? What are your recommendations on that? I definitely think that's one of those areas where you want to get help. So mm -hmm. you might want to start with medical expertise, mm -hmm. whether it's a urologist or OBGYN. Um, sometimes even like an OBGYN, like they have most of their training and and actually the pregnancy and delivery part of OBGYN. And a lot of them don't have a lot of training in sexual functioning. Mm -hmm. So look for somebody that has expertise in sexual functioning. You might also find a pelvic floor therapist that would have a lot of knowledge and in why intercourse is painful or why you might be struggling with climaxing. Um, sex therapists, there are Christian sex therapists that can help address physical as well as emotional issues from uh, a biblical perspective. So that's a great resource as well. Yeah. Well, listeners, if you can't tell, <laughs> Dr. Julie is full of so much wisdom. So you guys definitely have to get a copy of her book before you go, uh, Julie, one other thing that I was really hoping to get into, we're not going to get to dive into, but I at least want to just let you answer one question on the topic of fighting. Cause I think this is another mm -hmm. really hot topic that we don't talk about enough. Um, but one of your, you have a chapter on conflict called your last fight. So can you describe briefly for us the difference between healthy conflict and fighting? Yeah, I think we've got to realize that there's conflict in every marriage and conflict is good. It means that we're different. <laughs> so we don't want to be exactly the same. And uh, differences are great. A lot of differences aren't going to go away through marriage. Um, Dr. John Gottman found that almost 70% of conflicts a couple have are unresolvable. Mm. And so when you accept that, hey, my husband and I are different. We're going to see money differently. We're going to see sex differently. We're going to see our spiritual walk differently, and that's okay. You can navigate conflict in a way of how do we, how do we approach problem solving? How do we understand each other? How do we, how do we navigate our differences? Fighting is when it becomes you against me, and it becomes no, my way is better. You have to see it my way, uh, and it also happens when we get triggered, when I start to feel unsafe. I'm like you're not respecting me, or you're hurting my feelings, you're not being sensitive, then we go into the mode of self-protection instead of the mode of how do we get on the same page. And so I have a chapter in the book that really walks through how to tell the difference between healthy conflict and fighting and what we actually do to learn the skills to address even really hard conflicts with the attitude of how do we get on the same page? How can we understand each other more deeply? Yeah. Yeah. That chapter alone was one that I wish I had had at the beginning of my marriage. Cause I remember when we first got married, I thought for sure we were going to get divorced. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, I thought that fighting meant, 
like this is all over, like this is a bad thing. We're fighting so much. What's the deal? You know, I did not know that that's what couples do and that it's okay to not see things the same and that you're mm-hmm. going to have conflict and that's normal and everything. So I loved that, that chapter and your perspective on that. Um, well, before we get off of here, I would love for you to tell the listeners where they can connect with you and you have a podcast as well, right? I do. Yeah. My podcast is called Java with Julie. So it's weekly and you should be able to find it on any podcast app. And then the website um, that kind of is the ministry hub is authenticintimacy.com. Okay, perfect. And they can get your books and all the things there, right? Yep, they sure can. Well, Julie, do you have any final word of encouragement for any women listening here today, just um, for their marriage or any, any walk of their life that you want to share with them? Yeah, I just say you're not alone. And that's why we do podcasts like this to let you know that other women are asking similar questions and struggling through similar issues and find encouragement in your sisters in Christ and find encouragement and just bringing things to the Lord as well. Yeah. Yeah. I have loved, I know that, you know, we, we really, I could have gone into depth on all the things that you and I briefly discussed today, but my heart really was just to let the listeners get a glimpse of multiple different areas that I feel like aren't talked about enough that you obviously spoke life and wisdom into, but also then just two women sitting here going, yeah, us too. We've had to walk through this too in our own marriage and our own life. Like you're not alone and uh, just keep pushing forward, keep uh, joining together with other fellow believers and reading resources, listening to podcasts, doing all the things and keep fighting for your marriage. So thank you, Julie, for taking the time to come on today. I appreciate you. you. You got it. It's been a joy. Thanks, Rachel. Well, it's time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show that we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps that you can implement into your life right now. Now, today's show was about the topic of marriage. And Julie said a line that jumped out to me. I think I repeated it back in the show, but it is worth repeating again right now. She said, anything close to the heart of God is constantly under the attack of the enemy. Oh my goodness, that line, I have seen that to be true in my own life and I bet you have too. It is no secret that the enemy hates marriage. I wanna charge you today to fight for your marriage. Now, let's do that by starting to ask God two very simple questions, and here they are. God, what area of my marriage is the enemy attacking? And then let's say, God, how can I partner with you to fight for my marriage? Because, my friends, the battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against an enemy that is in the spiritual forces that we cannot see. So we must fight this battle with spiritual weapons. And we do that by partnering with God, having the Holy Spirit speak into our hearts about what we might need to do, whether it be praying of our home or getting in his word or doing something different. He will give you so many creative ideas. I've seen him do it in my own life, and I know he's going to do it for you too. So I actually want to pray 
over everybody sitting under the sound of my voice, your marriages, and even if maybe you happen to be listening to this and you're single, first of all, I want to congratulate you. I wish more single people would tune in to these kinds of episodes and just learn everything you can. That way, if you do get married one day, you are equipped. So if you're single, I also want you just to receive this prayer over your future marriage. Lord, we thank you that marriage was your idea, and it is a good idea. We thank you that marriage is at your heart. And Lord, we know that the enemy is attacking marriage all over the place. So Lord, we just submit to you, and we ask that you come, you cover us, cover our marriage, cover us as individuals, cover us as a union between you and us and us and our spouses. I pray for every marriage sitting under the sound of my voice today. You know where they're at. You know where each and every person's marriage is at. And I just even, as I'm praying, see women driving in the car just crying and going, Lord, I've been crying out for so many years for my marriage. And I just feel the Lord saying, I see you, daughter. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep standing up against the attacks of the enemy. I just pray for healing, Lord, where there's been damage in marriages. In the name of Jesus Christ, restore and redeem. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, my friends, I'm just so glad that you're here today. I love getting to just sit with you in this space. It's such an honor. You know, I say that in the beginning every week. I say, thank you for tuning in. I know you can choose millions probably at this point of other podcasts to tune into Yet you're here, and that's just mind-blowing to me, and I do not take that lightly. So thank you. And before I go, I want to remind you again of I have a marriage communication resource. It's six steps to communicate clearly with your spouse. You can download that at rachelgilbert.com forward slash marriage. And the other cool thing about getting that resource is if you're interested in more marriage resources from me, being on that group of people who are in that community, you'll be among the first to know when I release some stuff, which I do have some stuff coming your way soon. Well, that concludes our Get Real Practical segment for today. Hey, remember, if you love today's episode, please leave a review. I, you never know, I might be reading yours next week and you'll get some free goodies in the mail as well. Well, I pray that this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.